0: Hi, this is M. Allen Cunningham. I'm an author, publisher, and teacher in Portland, Oregon, and you're In the Atelier. In the Atelier is a place for occasional thoughts on literature, writing, the life of the imagination. Come on in. I'm glad you're here. My name is Mark Cunningham. Uh, I'm the founder and publisher of Atelier 26 Books, a very small press. Um, Thank you so much for having me today and providing me this opportunity to share my perspective as a publisher. Uh, I'm sorry I can't be with you all in real time, but I'll do my best to give you a sense of what um, Atelier 26 is all about. And um, maybe how that reflects certain realities and aspirations within the small publishing world. Um, and maybe that will also, giving you a sense of what the press is about will also allow me to touch on sort of where a small press like this fits in the larger ecosystem of the publishing marketplace. So first I thought I'd start with a few words about Atelier 26. So Atelier 26 just passed its 11th year landmark, uh, 11 year birthday. I founded the press in November of 2011 and uh, published the first title in 2012. Um, Since then, Atelier 26 has consistently published anywhere between zero and two titles per year. Um, There have been a few years in there where we haven't published any, and that's just a reality of a very small press. Um, Right now, after 11, 12 years in existence, we have 13 titles in print altogether. So that gives you a sense of how Um, small and slow is kind of the name of the game here. Um, Some of our books have been honored by some distinguished literary awards, including the Penn Hemingway Award, uh, the Penn Bingham Prize from Penn America, um, the Balcones Fiction Prize down in Austin, Texas, and the Flann O'Brien Award for Innovative Fiction. The books have been honored by each of those award organizations. Not That doesn't necessarily mean they won the top prize, but they've been recognized by those organizations. Um, I'll tell you a bit that, about how I went into this whole venture. From the beginning, my vision for this press revolved around a sort of unlikely question. And um, it's a pretty countercultural question, I think. And it's one that continues actually to inform everything that happens with Atelier 26. Um, That's including editorial decisions, uh, right up through how I determine the publication schedule, and then um, everything else, including things like um, finding funding, um, marketing our titles. So it was all about this one sort of Unlikely question, this sort of countercultural question. And the question for me was how small and how focused can Atelier 26 be while also remaining sustainable? So you'll notice that it, the question was not initially, how big can I make this thing or how quickly can I grow it? Uh, and that's still not how I look at this. It's more about how small can I keep it? How focused can I keep it? How can I keep it alive at the right sort of um, pace so that it's uh, sustainable over time? Uh, So some questions related to that sort of overarching question um, were and continue to be things like how mindfully and creatively and sensitively can Atelier 26 go about its business? That's really important for me as a way of thinking about Uh, what the press is truly about? How can we best honor each author and their work, given the press's limited resources? And uh, how can we make sure that sensibility, taste, and literary spirit take priority in everything we do as publishers? So you'll see how those aren't necessarily the conventional questions, they might not be the questions you'd expect because they're not necessarily business-minded questions, right? I think of them more as sort of arts and crafts-minded questions. That's kind of how I approach this. So anyway, I wanted to start by sharing these ideas because I think it gives you a sense of the framework for the press. Uh, This is a press with very few (laughs) material or monetary resources, Uh, but that's almost the point. Um, There's this relative absence of financing, absence of infrastructure, but that absence, I think just might make it more possible to focus over a longer period of time on the more lasting stuff, the more important stuff, the heart and soul of what this is all about, the literature itself that we're hoping to bring into the world. So if that sounds a little paradoxical or, or maybe even nonsensical, um, well, I wouldn't argue otherwise actually. Uh, so a very small press like this is a very weird thing. And, and generally, a person goes into it um, not out of some highly developed sort of business savvy or hunger for growth and profit, but from a humbler perspective, a more focused perspective. It's about the writing at hand in any given book project. It's about the particular author and their particular book. Uh, it's about the beauty of the book, uh, each book we publish the beauty of that book, both in its writing and in its physical form as an object. We're focused generally on the beauty of the act of bringing something new into the world with every book. That's a real privilege. Um, And I take that seriously. And that's why I don't wanna grow too fast. I wanna focus on every single project. Um, One of my enduring inspirations in all of this is the Hogarth Press, uh, which some of you may have heard of established in 1917 by Virginia Woolf and her husband Leonard, um, the Hogarth Press. That was a press with humble origins that produced incredible literature that actually, that press sort of changed the course of modern literature in many ways. Um, And it was all about a commitment to making books beautiful inside and out. So I'm constantly looking to and inspired by the Hogarth Press. Okay. So that's enough sort of tone setting probably. I want to get to your questions now. Um, So the first question is from Grace who asks, what are the advantages of pursuing indie publishers over more mainstream publishers? So this is a wonderful question and and it's a question asked from the writer perspective, right? My initial response to this is the advantages for a writer of pursuing an indie press and working with an indie press is you're very likely to find a greater openness um, to unconventional or even challenging writing styles. So whether that means uh, writing that sort of tests the boundaries of genre or writing that favors voice over plot or writing that plays wildly with form in some interesting way. Um, I like to think that the, the sort of quintessential small press book of creative writing is one that's unafraid to ask something of its reader. It it, it will invite its reader into kind of a less familiar, maybe less formulaic, uh, more invigorating, imaginative, thought-provoking kind of reading experience. But to keep this in a writer's perspective, um, I do wanna add that that greater level of sort of editorial openness with the small press does not mean that it's necessarily any easier to publish uh, with an independent press, uh, even the smallest of the small, like Atelier 26, uh, than it would be with any other press. In fact, it's just as difficult, and in some ways, actually more difficult to place your work as a writer with an independent publisher uh, than it is to place your work at a mainstream publisher, um, which might seem counterintuitive. Um, And in part, this is because independent publishers' resources are so much smaller, which means that they often publish far fewer titles than the mainstream. And in part, this um, difficulty of placing your work within small press is because the competition among manuscripts is just as intense, uh, no matter where you are in, in whatever area you may be in the publishing marketplace. So, It's just as intense in the small press world as it is in the large mainstream uh, publishing world. Okay, next question is from Anastasia. Would you say that the average person in your employ assumes multiple roles? How many hats would you wear working at a small indie press versus in a larger house? This is a great question too. My answer is that I am the sole staff person at Atelier 26 and I wear every hat. It's just me, it's basically a solo operation. Um, And then I'm working in partnership with individual writers who we bring on to publish. So I function as the editor, the publisher. I even do um, things like designing the pages, the page layout for the books that we publish. I do the copy editing. (laughs) I um, necessarily am the business manager. Um, I'm the sales rep representing our books to uh, bookstores and other uh, parts of the trade. Um, So to some degree, I'm also a publicist, although we work with a freelance publicist every now and then. And I'm generally kind of a roadie as well. I uh, do a lot of hauling boxes of books around to different trade shows and things. So uh, that's why I added this image to this slide. This is me at the Brooklyn Book Festival in 2019. Uh, flying solo there as well. I had to set that table up. I had to unpack all those books. I had to ship those books from Portland to Brooklyn. Uh, So I'm wearing all those hats. Um, In general, the larger independent presses, the better funded independent presses do tend to kind of divvy up roles and duties in a more traditional way. So at those better funded houses, you'll find editors uh, acquire and edit. That's what they do. That's their role. Publicists publicize, designers design, sales reps do their thing. There's there's more of a discrete um, parceling out of, of roles. But very small micro presses like Atelier 26 are often solo operations. And usually there's just one or two people um, doing all the things. So sometimes it's just me. Sometimes it's me and some other people I'll bring on temporarily to help. Great question. Thank you. Uh, Spencer asks, how does your press operation work, or how does your house connect and build relationships with outside press operations? This is an interesting question, and I think what you might be getting at, Spencer, is the idea of press versus publisher, so I just want to maybe approach this in that angle. Um, Press, quote-unquote, is is sort of a catch-all term that we use synonymously with publisher. So calling Atelier 26 or anybody else a small press doesn't necessarily mean that that particular publisher actually prints their own books on their own physical presses, um, although that used to be the case with a lot of small presses. The Hogarth Press, who I mentioned before, being one example of that, they did, they were their own publisher and printer in many cases. Um, but today, like almost every other publisher, um, big and small, Atelier 26 works with various printers who handle the actual physical printing and production of our books. So that's sort of um, delegated to outside firms. So there's early in the process of getting a book ready for publication, I'll I'll engage in this sort of shopping around um, to see which uh, printing company is gonna be best for us for that project. So I'll ask for estimates on the particular book project. I'll compare prices across a few different printing companies. And then I'll go with whichever company can produce our our enough copies of the book and um, meet our design standards at a fair price and on the schedule that we need them uh, to be printed on. So press versus publisher, it's a little bit, we use those terms somewhat interchangeably now. Okay, next question is from Kate S. Financially, how does a small press compare to a large one? whether in terms of employee salary or author advances? My answer here is that there's pretty much no comparison (laughs) between a small press and a large press um, in terms of salary or advances. Um, A large New York publishing company, um, like one of the big four uh, publishers that's owned by a multinational media conglomerate, um, a press like that, and a press like Atelier 26, these aren't even in the same cosmos. Um, in some ways, we might occupy the same publishing marketplace in the largest sense, but really there are so many differences in sensibility and in business structure, and funding is one of the main differences. So, as I said already, Atelier 26 is a staff of one. That means that I don't make any money personally um, from whatever happens with the press. Um, Salaries are non-existent when it comes to Atelier 26, and that's not uncommon with presses of this size, especially solo operations. So I don't get a salary. Nobody else gets a salary that I work with uh, at Atelier 26, although several people do contribute to the press from time to time. I work with a designer regularly to um, create our book covers, and um, I bring in a, a good and trusted friend who helps me out as a publicist, and I pay both those People, but on sort of temporary bases um, and it's never very much. It's never as much as I wish I could pay them. So they're kind of doing piecework for the press sort of off and on as needed. Um, I could add to this though that there are sort of uh, a few tiers in the small press world. So there's presses at this level that Atelier 26 occupies, which is just the very small level or often called the micro press level a couple other presses like this. There's a great press called Future Tense Books, and another called Propeller Books. Both of which also happen to be in Portland, and I would call both of those micro presses as well. They're all run by solo operators. They're all publishing anywhere between zero and a very small number of books per year, and each of those presses is mostly a labor of love, founded by their, um, funded by their operators or by donations or grants or so on. So that's the very small micro press level. Then we have another tier, which is kind of the small level, <laughs> which is slightly bigger than very small. And there you have a press, like the press that published my most recent novel, actually a, a newish publishing company called Regal House Publishing. Regal House, I would call a small press, a press that publishes a lot of titles, has a team of editors um, and copy editors and designers and so on but they're unable to pay author advances. And then after the small tier, you might rise to maybe the medium size independent press. And here I'm thinking of publishing companies like Tin House Books or $2 Radio, these sort of slightly higher profile small presses um, that tend to be pretty well funded from some private source or other and probably pays some small advances to their authors. And then at the largest end of the independent press world, you have sort of the established independent presses. And here I think of a place like uh, Grey Wolf Books or um, Coffee House Books or Melville House or um, the publisher of my first few novels, Unbridled Books. These are established houses um, that can generally pay um, more competitive advances. The graphic that I put on this slide relates to this question. It's a profit and loss table from the Hogarth Press. This is the kind of thing you do when when you're a micro press publisher and you're in it for the love of it and for the art of it. You console yourself by looking at these dismal profit and loss sheets (laughs) from other very small presses of the past that you admire. And I have here a yellow box around the years 1925 and 1926 at the Hogarth Press uh, because Um, The Hogarth Press, in addition to publishing a number of other authors, they published most of Virginia Woolf's novels. Um, So Mrs. Dalloway, the great classic work of modernist literature, an incredible work. It has never gone out of print. It was originally published, self-published by Virginia Woolf through her own publishing house, the Hogarth Press, in 1925. And if you look at their profit and loss for 1925 and 1926, it's instructive and consoling, I think. 1925, they have a net profit of 146. I think that's 146 pounds. Um, uh, A final profit of 73 pounds. So that net profit is cut in half by the end of the year. And then the following year, they've gone from a net profit of 146 pounds to 53 pounds. Um, So almost just a third of what they made the prior year despite the fact that they had just produced one of the most timeless and beautiful works of modernist literature uh, in 1925. So this is just the reality of this level of publishing and um, the reality of kind of publishing for the love of it. Okay, next question is from Julia, who asks, as an indie publisher, what kinds of authors do you look for? How does this differ from larger publishers? Um, On our website, Uh, When we were accepting submissions, we had an open submission period for a while. Um, I posted there a description of the kind of work we seek, so I'll just share that here. We uh, are looking for work that displays a sensitivity to the nuance, power, and infinite potential of language. Writing that demonstrates on every page the author's awareness of good craft while being unafraid to depart from the conventions of the classroom and the status quo of the publishing industry, writing the glimmers and surprises at both the level of its lines and in its larger vision, we look for work that will inspire multiple rereadings and generate conversation. And we long for imagery that is unforgettable in its expression, juxtapositions, and collisions." Sounds like a tall order, right? (laughs) And this is one of the reasons we publish so few titles because um, I have to be very, very selective in what actually makes it into the pipeline and into uh, print given the very limited funding and my limited bandwidth being one person running the press. But I just want to point out that these criteria, this is a very um, distinct and specific sensibility expressed in what I just read to you. And this is quite different from uh, larger publishers to get to the second part of your question here. I would say that larger mainstream publishers generally um, uh, differ in that those mainstream publishers operate within an infrastructure that requires a literary literary agent as a go-between between the writer and the publisher. And they will only accept agented work And the reason I mention that is that literary agents these days have pretty much zero incentive to represent the kind of work I just described that Atelier 26 is always hungry for. Um, So voice-driven work, uh, sort of experimental work that might push um, or, or challenge our understandings of form, of genre, et cetera, work that takes risks, works that asks something of its reader The mainstream publishing infrastructure, uh, so meaning agents and mainstream large publishers is overwhelmingly incentivized to accept and propagate and promote highly topical work, um, highly timely work, kind of middle of the road, plot driven page turner type writing. And any of those other features that I just mentioned, the quality of the voice, um, character-driven work, favoring um, character development and form over plot, um, any of those features would be considered just kind of decorative, um, or in maybe in most cases, actively discouraged by the mainstream publishers. So independent publishers like Atelier 26, I don't think we're unique in this, we're seeking an alternative kind of writing, a a new fresher kind of approach in all respects. Thank you for the question. Okay, Uh, Kate R asks, what made you initially want to and then eventually decide to start a publishing house? What was that process like? Um, It goes back to my own frustrations as a writer. Uh, I had published two novels through an established commercial press, and those novels had been well received for the most part. My first novel was especially well received. The second, not as well, but still um, by most standards, it was it was a success. Uh, and I couldn't find a publisher for my third book, which was a story collection, date of disappearance, a collection of uh, 10 stories. Um, my, I had an agent at the time who was shopping the collection all around to publishers who had expressed um, interest in my work before, but hadn't been able to publish it for whatever reason. So we had certain leads that we were following and we just hit um, a dead end in every direction. And we were told that publishers just don't publish story collections because they just don't sell. And when I hear that, it sounds to me like a chicken and egg sort of uh, puzzle. If you don't publish the collections in the first place, how could they ever have a chance to sell? Therefore, you can't really say that they don't sell if you never publish them, right? So It just seemed really silly to me. Maybe that was just an excuse publishers were making or or a a nice way of letting the writer down. But I started hearing this more and more um, from a number of writers I knew and admired and was talking with, uh, writer colleagues, et cetera, who couldn't get their latest work published despite having found a great publisher for their first one, two, three books and having some success with those books, having those books well-received. Came time for their new work, to find a home and they were basically orphaned or abandoned by their prior publishers and couldn't find a new home. So I was in that same boat. I learned that there were people all around me who were having the same um, challenges in the publishing marketplace. And I thought, what if we just tried to do this ourselves? Um, So I undertook, I challenged myself to, to publish this story collection, this homeless story collection on my own. And I used it as an opportunity to learn the whole publishing process from how to register an ISBN number, how to design a book um, so that the pages look the way they're supposed to look when when the book is finally printed, how a book is laid out, Uh, the whole self-copy editing process. I did work with a freelance editor on this book who helped me in that way. Uh, Worked with a designer to design a a sort of deluxe um, book cover that had the French flaps. It was really beautiful. And this book was fully illustrated with 10 original illustrations from the artist who designed the cover. So we had glossy illustrations inserted for each of the 10 stories. It was a really fun process to put that together and I learned a ton in doing that. But my ultimate aim was to teach myself how to publish with this first book, put the book into the world and hopefully um, use it as a launching pad to establish this company where I could then reach out and help those other authors who were having trouble finding homes for their work. So that's what I did, I reached out first to an author I knew and admired greatly, Harriet Scott Chessman. She had published um, three other novels, all had been highly acclaimed critically, and um, two of them had achieved some pretty um, substantial commercial success. So um, we worked together and I ended up publishing that her fourth novel. It's a book called The Beauty of Ordinary Things. It's a beautiful book. Uh, So that's what uh, gave rise to the press originally. And that has remained part of the vision all along. I do continue to publish some of my own work through the press. Um, That's an important part of it for me in an obvious sort of creative fulfillment sense, but it's more than just my own creative fulfillment. I I publish those books in order to keep the press afloat and then um, in helping to sustain the press, it makes it possible for me to continue reaching out to other authors and bringing them in and trying to help get their work into the world as well. Uh, Kate L asks this question, what are some mistakes to avoid when starting up an indie publishing house? This is a great question, things not to do. So don't assume you need to take out a loan, (laughs) like to start a conventional kind of business. um, I would definitely discourage anybody from. Putting themselves into financial debt to start a publishing house, it's not necessary first of all because there are so many ways to produce and publish books now that shouldn't cost, it shouldn't cost hardly anything up front. So don't do that. Don't assume you have to pay for every single thing that is necessary to get a press off the ground. So here I'm talking about like working with uh, book designers or working with freelance copy editors or working with a freelance publicist. When you're starting out, it's perfectly legitimate and actually can be a great community building exercise to reach out to the creative people around you um, and sort of trade time and skills with those creative friends and acquaintances. So um, this was part of my arrangement early on with the person who designs all our book covers, um, Nathan Shields, a really talented artist. We kind of traded some uh, creative skills in various ways. I helped him with a few of his projects and then he came in and helped me with a few of the early projects for Atelier 26. So there wasn't a great deal of upfront expense uh, in any respect, getting the press off the ground. We did have a fundraiser that helped a sort of crowdfunder campaign. Um, I would say also don't pretend to be uh, a bigger press than you are. I would say a major part of starting up an indie publishing house is kind of embracing your smallness and making the most of it. Making it a part of your kind of brand in the world. Embrace your own weirdness as a press. That's the point of being a small press. Small is beautiful, small is good, small is an alternative, right? So I would say stick to your values and tastes and remember why you wanted to be small in the first place. And as a follow-through to that, I would just add one little caveat that might be a little unexpected, which is don't rely too much on selling books through bookstores, through the conventional channels. Part of me. Um, winces to have to say that because I love our independent booksellers, Um, but the infrastructure of bookstore sales can be problematic, especially for a very small press. Um, For one thing, you're expected to accept returns from bookstores at any time, and then secondly, it's just a pretty rare thing that you will be able to place a book in a bookstore, and that book will be espoused in a really passionate way by someone who's gonna advocate for it in the bookstore and hand sell it to everyone they see, that just doesn't happen very much. It's just really rare, especially with small press books. So there are other avenues to pursue in trying to get the books to readers, like um, setting up a table at a a book fair or at a trade show or um, selling through your website or uh, social media. There are a number of other ways to sell directly to readers until you kind of get your footing as a small publisher, and then you can start thinking about reaching out to bookstores. Uh, I wouldn't start at bookstores though. All right, next question is, after establishing your small press, how did you build credibility within the publishing community and attract talented writers or pieces that have won prestigious awards? Maddie is asking, thank you, Maddie. Um, The vision all along with the press was to uh, find the work that wasn't going to be given a home elsewhere, but certainly deserved a home. So work that fits that description that I read earlier, unconventional work, surprising work, work that asks something of the reader, and then to let that work speak for itself. So to kind of establish a sensibility-driven press and let the rest sort of follow. That's not to say that I wasn't proactive in other ways though. So I worked really hard to bring the press and our our books, um, particularly each one, to the attention of trusted readers in the industry. Um, so that meant if I knew anyone who occasionally wrote book reviews for websites or blogs or for small um, sort of um, independent weekly newspapers, that kind of thing, uh, get it into the hands of whoever might be able to help spread the word. Maintain a consistent commitment to filling your own niche. Only you your press can do what it was set up to do. So embrace that. Again, the idea of embracing the the, the beautiful of the small. Um, submitting the books for any kind of award that it's not too expensive to submit them for. Any kind of possible award attention can um, go a long way in getting the raising the profile of a book. And then maybe the most foundational thing is in spreading the word about any particular title or any particular author's work, start locally, focus on the local, then only after a while, once you've built up that local kind of excitement about the book, then spread out to the regional level, and then you can start spreading out more territorially. So as Atelier 26 has grown and published more authors over the years, our territory has sort of naturally expanded because we have authors in Florida, we have authors in Maine, we have authors in, we had an author in Arkansas for a while, author in Chicago, author in Iowa. And once you start um, sort of establishing relationships in different geographical areas, that really helps raise the profile of the press, which then it follows that uh, work finds its way to you. Also just having a presence at book fairs and trade shows again is, is a good part of raising that profile. All right, next question is from Emmeline. What are some of the ways your press gets its books on shelves at local bookstores? How is your process different from what one of the big five publishers might do? Um, So I spoke to this a little bit in a a prior question a minute ago, um, discouraging going to bookstores right away when starting a press. That said, bookstores have been a significant part of some of the um, really positive developments with some of our books. So here you see one of our most successful, most popular titles, Margaret Malone's story collection, People Like You, which was a finalist for the Penn Hemingway Award. Um, A few years after that finalist notice, it was also selected by Powell's Books here in Portland, which is one of the world's biggest bookstores uh, on a list of 25 books to read before you die. And they brought a whole bunch of books into the stores and displayed them um, really prominently with this beautiful little write-up from one of the booksellers. That came about through um, building up sort of years of relationships with key booksellers at key stores. And that happened just very gradually over time. It's not something that can be forced. It It just sort of happens. The more books you put into the world, the more authors you have setting up events at various bookstores, et cetera. So I do love independent bookstores, but I will say they're just trying to survive And that often means they're unable to do very much for small presses, especially at this small, small level. Um, Getting the book into bookstores, one thing I did at a certain point with the press at about the seven year mark, I guess, I signed up with the large book distributor, uh, the second largest independent book distributor in the United States, and maintained that relationship for a few years. They did get the books into stores to some degree um, but what I found ultimately that it was that that kind of infrastructure wasn't a good fit for what we do at Atelier 26. There's a lot of waste <laughs> built into the publishing marketplace, waste of time, waste of expense, waste of other resources, and that that is true in the distribution infrastructure as well, and Atelier 26 cannot afford to waste anything, so we found that that was kind of ultimately detrimental to what we wanted to do, so we've now moved away from that distributor, which means our books won't be in bookstores as much. Um, but I think that's okay. There are other avenues, as I mentioned earlier. Um, how, is, how does our process of getting into stores differ from the big publishers? The big publishers just have so much more money to fund sales reps who go into the stores and represent their books to the, book's main, to the bookstore's main buyers. They also can pay huge amounts of money for what are called co-op displays, where they basically rent a table at the very front of a bookstore, the most prominent place. And because they paid the bookstore extra, they get that display space. That's how it works. That's sort of the dirty secret of how um, promotion works through a number of bookstores. Okay, how do you balance uh, writing and publishing both personally and professionally? This is our final question from Annabelle. This is a terrific question, too. How do you balance writing and publishing? Um, My answer to this is just intermittently. Um, (laughs) It's a constant sort of seesaw. Um, Something is always taking backseat to something else. So sometimes my publishing is taking a backseat to my personal writing, and sometimes, vice versa. But hopefully, that's only temporarily. And for the most case, across the 12, 13 years of e 26's existence, that has been the case. It's always just been temporary. Um, The times when my personal writing has taken a backseat. But then again, sometimes my writing and my publishing are the same thing. As I mentioned, I do publish my own books through the press. uh, In the spirit of Virginia Woolf, (laughs) I can publish my books precisely to my own editorial standards, my own design standards. They're going to look exactly the way I want them to look. They're going to be edited exactly the way I want them to be edited. Um, but again, in doing that, ideally, my, my hope ideally is that those books of mine can help keep the press afloat so that I can continue to reach out to other writers and provide them uh, material encouragement um, through uh, helping them get their book into print, giving their work a public airing. Um, So it's a a constant seesaw, constant kind of tug of war, but it all works out. All right, thank you all again for the opportunity to share my perspective. Um, I hope this provided you something new to think about, uh, sort of new angle on things, maybe something that hadn't occurred to you in in your explorations of the independent publishing world so far. Uh, And I wish you all the best all of you in your reading and your writing and your studies. Okay. So thank you again and take care. In the Atelier is produced by Atelier 26 books. For more information, visit Atelier26books.com. I'm M. Allen Cunningham. Thanks for listening. So long for now.